Welcome, everybody, once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, and this is episode 218. Yes, we have 217 back behind us today. 218, and uh, 218 was born out of some... uh, some thinking on the treadmill, some thinking on chess day. Uh, you know, part of the reason I go to the gym, in fact, just as a sidebar, uh, if you watch the podcast, most people listen, but a few people watch. And if you watch, you'll see in the video, I'm always wearing these shirts, these Bay Leaf shirts. I've decided I should contact Bay Leaf and be like, you should be a sponsor of the podcast because I wear your shirts 98% of the time when I'm doing a podcast because I usually do the podcast just before I go to the gym or just after I go to the gym. And the reason I go to the gym seven days a week is for one reason. It lets me think and it vents the stress. But the problem is when I vent the stress, I begin to think more. And then when I think more, I get a little stressed. It creates a vicious cycle, but it keeps me going to the gym. So anyway, that's a sidebar. You showed up. I'm sharing my insider life. It's what you get to see So and get to hear about. So anyway, I was at the gym. I was thinking about a lot of stuff, um, just kind of pondering the current climate of things and how we can be more effective everyday missionaries. Uh, and, and I think I've been working through just a lot of aggregate details that I, I see and I read about and everything else. And then I'm always trying to drive that back to the patterns that you can see in the Bible and how I think those patterns are there to stand as these warnings to us. Like, hey, this is something that humans are really good at falling into and you want to try to figure out how to break those cycles, you know? And and so I think that's what I was thinking about. And part of this goes back to the podcast from last week where uh, a lot of the beginning of that podcast was talking about the Southern Baptists and Mike Stone suing Russell Moore for $750,000 for defamation. Because if you read through the material, he's saying that uh, what happened by him not winning the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention has negatively impacted him financially and professionally. And that just absolutely breaks my heart, right? That that's what we now care about within our religious institutions. We care about money. We care about power. We care about reputation. We care about earning potential. We care about protection of heritage, all these other things. And so as I was thinking about that more, I'm like, I shouldn't be shocked. You know, even years ago when I went through some things with the denomination that we were a part of, there was some similar arguments made. This is financially negatively impacting the denomination. And therefore we're going to use lawyers to force things to what? Like, make sure we have better financial viability. Uh, and I'm like, where did where did this Jesus kingdom message get lost in the context of religion? And then I'm reminded by the fact that this is the cycle, that the cycle is typically God's people get off of God's beaten path. And from that, it leads to all sorts of hardship, calamity, brokenness, abuse, And there needs to be a massive reset. Like when you go back in the Old Testament, God's resets are harsh, man. They're talking like, you know, catastrophic failure of their society or their culture until they kind of recalibrate and reassess and they can kind of recoalesce again as God's culture. And then they just go through it again. It's like the matrix. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey, everything that's happened before will happen again. That's just the way it works. And so I think it's that whole thing that I've been thinking about more and just these things within like the SBC highlight that, but I'm seeing it almost across the boards and to the point of, you know, typically on this podcast, I talk about how evangelical need evangelicalism needs to course correct. I'm starting to more and more just look at Christianity 
as a whole and in the United States at least and and I'm kind of going has has the system itself become so big and so um, kind of integrated into the rhythms of culture and our world and the way you do business that in and of itself it's it's almost too interlaced with toxins and it has to almost go through a massive detox to get back to the principles of the kingdom like is that what needs to happen and in the midst of that is there needing to be kind of an honesty about where we've lulled ourselves into certain assurances and maybe we need to be like thrust under some cold water and from that shocked back into, oh yeah, this is the mission statement of Jesus and maybe where we've missed the mission statement, right? So this has been a lot on my heart and certainly today as I was doing some, some stuff and thinking it through and then processing the bigger picture because even there was another thing that came out of another one of the executive committee members of the Southern Baptist that resigned and I'm reading through his resignation nation and everything else. And I'm like, this sounds so earthly. It is talking about lawyers and privilege and, uh, you know, uh, just the legal process and the risk that's there if we don't have these legal protections from our lawyers. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus has just got to be grieving over his church and that these are the leaders of his church and the leaders of a church that is considered to be the most conservative of the Christian uh, denominations here in our country. And so again, like I was talking about last week, is this sort of the aha, wait, this is, this is deeper, bigger, and more problematic than we realize. And I really believe it is. And, and I want to be really clear on my motives here again, because I start to get concerned that people are like, oh, Matt's just making a sport out of beating us up. This is what he's all about. And I'm like, trust me, this is the last thing I really want to do. I would rather just be like every week I was rolling in and be like, here's your little happy nugget of the week. We're doing an awesome job, kicking butt, taking names. Let's go do it. But I don't think we're kicking the right butt and in the right names. That's, that's why it has this kind of, as I keep saying, prophetic tone to the podcast. And so the topic that I wanted to talk about, and I think it's important. I mean, I think it's like brutally, I think it's deeply brutally, um, like we should all be, uh, kind of humbled, nervous by the topic. And it's this idea of have we lulled ourselves as kind of American Christianity, not just evangelicalism, but, but American Christianity in some ways, though I think evangelicalism is probably more of a concentrated reality of this problem. But have we lulled ourselves into thinking our moral conservatism is adequate, even though it may be at the cost of our kingdom identity? Because my concern is, is that we think because we are morally conservative, we're solid in the eyes of Christ and we're fulfilling his mission. But I actually think it's that kind of moral conservatism that is causing kingdom apostasy. Well, we're not really representing the kingdom. In fact, this all came because today I was like, man, do I want to operate under a different label, right? And I've mentioned that before. Like, you know, I, I stay in the evangelical tradition because that's my tribe and I, I want to see reform there. But I was even thinking about the label Christianity. 
and how increasingly it has a negative connotation in our culture. And yet I don't think it has a negative connotation because the culture says that Jesus is such a jerk. We can't stand him. Christ is awful and we're against him. It's not like the negativity toward Christianity is a negativity toward Christ. It's almost like it's divorced itself from Christ and it's earning its negativity for other reasons. And I think it's conservative moralism that's causing it. And therefore, we're doubling down on that conservative moralism as opposed to trying to reassess, well, what does kingdom values look like? What does kingdom disposition look like? What are the principles of the kingdom that are the actual ethics that Jesus cares about? Because I think there's a difference between kind of conservative moralism and kingdom ethics. And so this is where I'm concerned that we're trading one for the other. And so we're apostates when it comes to the kingdom, but we're defending this variation of Christian conservative moralism that is driving us further away from the kingdom, further away from our missional responsibilities, further away from what the gospel is really all about. And in the end, it's it's giving Jesus a bad reputation. That's my concern, right? So kind of thinking about this one a little bit, it reminds me of something that I think kind of got baked into our cake uh, in recent decades, which was this idea that the United States is like a new Israel. We're God's new promised land. We're the manifest destiny of God's agenda for the world. And so America is that beacon on a hill. That's thousand points of light. Remember when uh, President Bush, number one, talked about that? I think Reagan maybe kind of talked about that a little bit too. And, and we kind of go, right, we're like the new Israel to the world. And I go, we might be, but we might be for the wrong reasons. So in other words, what was interesting about the first century that Jesus comes into is that they were longing for a Messiah, but they were longing for the wrong kind of Messiah. They were longing for that warrior David-like Messiah that was going to elevate them and subdue their enemies. And there was aggression behind that. And there was force behind that. And the desire for their way of life to be elevated and then maintained, even if it was at the cost of other people's way of life. And so the hunger that the people of Israel had in the first century for the Messiah was fundamentally a self-serving, self-interested, self-aggrandizing vision. And they wanted a Messiah to reinforce that. But then Jesus comes into the world and he brings in this kingdom that's not like the kingdom of David or the kingdom of Solomon or anything like that. It's not like the kingdom that they envisioned. He comes in with this kingdom that's almost the extreme opposite of that other kingdom. And so uh, he's like, hey, here's what I want you to do, right? And he outlines that on the Sermon on the Mount, right? This three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew or one chapter in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 6 where he says, this is how my kingdom's going to work, and this is how my people are going to function, and here's the way we need to see the Sermon on the Mount. It is a replacement of the message given to Moses on Sinai. So on Sinai, you were given this, this creedal system of 613 laws that identified the uniqueness of Israel over the nations. But in this, you have to remember, according to Paul, the reason God gave the law was because of the hardness of Israel's heart, not because that was the roadmap 
to their manifest destiny. It was because of their hardness that God gives the law to prep them for what was coming, which was his real kingdom. And in his real kingdom, it would be opposite and backwards and different and unique. And it wouldn't be about self-serving. It would be about sacrifice. It wouldn't be about your needs. It'd be about the needs of your neighbor. It would not be about taking. It would be about giving. It would not be about warfare. It'd be about peacemaking. Like those are then the values that all who follow Jesus come the New Testament are embracing. So it's not the moralism of the law that Jesus was as focused on as it was the ethics of the kingdom. And the deepest ethics of the kingdom is not just that, hey, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I'm faithful to my spouse, uh, you know, things like that. Those are kind of easy, to be honest, in comparison to the, the ethics of the kingdom, Because the ethics of the kingdom are suddenly this whole different way of looking at the world where we give our money with a certain disposition. We pray with a certain intensity. Uh, We make investment to the people around us in a way that is more selfless than taking. You know, this is where all the stuff of the Sermon on the Mount becomes pretty radical, where we endure suffering with joy, where we realize that God is going to to give us reward in our mourning, in our hurting, uh, in our poverty of spirit. Like that stuff really, really counts when we, in fact, do turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love our enemy, don't judge. At the same time, we're prudent enough not to throw things toward people who are just going to turn and trample us. So we know how to hold our tongue. Uh, You know, we, we go to God who wants to give good gifts and we realize that the real merit and proof of our authenticity in Christ is the fruit that we bear. And the fruit that we're supposed to bear in a kingdom model is not simply, hey, I'm moral. I vote moral. Here's the moral code that I care about. But rather, it's the morality of the kingdom. It is the ethics of the kingdom. It is the very essence of of what Jesus told us to do. And he was really clear, right? He's like, if you're going to follow me, life is going to be hard. If you follow me, you're going to be opposed. If you actually do what I want you to do, you may get run under. And yet he's saying in that, that's where you really are tested to see if you believe what I'm saying. But if we start to react and respond, just like the world would respond to hardship, trial, pressure, fears, whatever, then we're almost saying like, yeah, Jesus is way, it doesn't really work. Like it's nice on paper. It's awesome in a Bible study. We love to put that on a bumper sticker. We love to have a bookmark about it. I have a coffee mug that reminds me what to do. But when the real challenges of life face me, I'm going to just react humanly or I'm going to react like Israel in the Old Testament. I'm going to react like Israel in the New Testament toward Jesus when he shows up and tries to give a different vision of the kingdom. And so my concern for us today is foundationally that we think we're doing well because we think we're we're moral. And our morals are on the conservative side. And then we advocate for more conservative morals. And we advocate for what we perceive to be family values. And we advocate for what we perceive to be a better way of life that goes back to an old heritage of kind of Americana, where we're like, back in this day, it was so much better and life is so much simpler. And we didn't have all the crud and filth and trash of the media and all this stuff. It was just so blissful. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't if it doesn't look like Jesus in the kingdom. If it's just moralism, that isn't kingdom. Because the kingdom's so much more. If it was just moralism, the Mormons are winning. 
And and I say that as a tribute, actually, to the Mormons. Like, you know, they're incredibly moral people. But there has to be something deeper than that. I'm increasingly just running across disbelieving people whose morals at times I go, boy, those look more like the kingdom than even sometimes what we're advocating for as people who endorse the kingdom. And so all the more, I, I want to remind us of this this principle, this mindset that we need to have, which is we are not driven by just a conservative vision of morality for our culture and then hard stop. Our morality is meant to subsidize kingdom ethics, right? So for example, I'll I'll use like marriage. Here's the ethic of marriage from a kingdom perspective is to show what it means to genuinely love my neighbor as myself. It is a living model of what it means to say, you know what? Not I, but you. I'm not in this for what my wife can give me. I'm in this for what I can give to my wife. I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. So marriage from a kingdom perspective is a model of kingdom sacrifice. It's not just like, hey, don't get divorced because that's not ethical or moral. Big deal. So you stay together is not enough to say, hey, that's good conservative values right there. No, genuine kingdom values is this giving up of oneself for the other, right? It's mutual submission for the common good of the relationship. And so there's a difference between, hey, I didn't get a divorce and I didn't cheat. And hey, I'm actually doing this the way Jesus prescribes for me to do it and live it and engage in it. So there's differences. This is why the Sermon on the Mount is so impressive when you get to like chapter five toward the latter half of that. And Jesus is kind of matching up. You heard it was said, but now I tell you. Like he's moving them from conservative uh, morality to kingdom ethics. And there is a difference. And here's the most important thing in this. I think sometimes in this lulling effect that we get into, we think that if we advocate for conservative morality, if we vote for conservative morality, if we make statements about conservative, conservative morality, we're doing God a favor. We're standing up for what's right. We're, we're standing for truth. We're standing for Christianity. And I go, no, we're just, we're just hitting the baseline. And if our tone in that isn't a love of neighbor, a love of enemy, a passion for the lost, a care for our world, a desire to do good to our city, to be the servants of those who may want to mistreat us, if that's not our tone in that, if anything, if our tone is those sinners on the other side, those, whatever it is, you know, those morally loose, those progressive X, whatever it is, and we don't sound broken and caring and prayerful and loving toward that group. We are Israel in every wrong way. We're no different than the first century Israelites looking at Jesus and saying, right, I hear love your enemy, but are you going to kill Rome? I hear love your enemy, but when are you going to pull the sword? I hear love your enemy, but when are you going to finally step in and give these thugs and punks their due just dessert, Jesus? Like, that's what we want to know. When can we start calling them names? When can we remind them of how bad they are? When can we protest them and warn them and drive them out? Jesus, when's that going to happen? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You don't get it. The only way you're going to change the world is if you embrace the values of the kingdom. That will be the gong I hopefully bang on this podcast till it no longer exists, right? Because that's the only thing that matters. And my conviction, my concern, even my own 
self-condemnation at times is that we just don't believe it works. I, I just think we think the other things work. If we complain enough, if we vote enough, if we warn enough, if we, uh, you know, pressure enough, like somehow it's going to change things and get the world to where it needs to be. And yet I'm convinced the only thing that's going to compel anybody anything different is that we show them something truly different. That we can display these kingdom values and show that those values are more dear to uh, to us than just kind of moral ethics, right? Because conservative moral ethics are fine, but you don't need Jesus to do them. You can have conservative moral ethics and be an atheist. I know of atheists that have conservative moral ethics. In fact, I know of atheists that actually embrace kingdom values sometimes better than Christians who have conservative moral ethics. I'm saying for us, we need to have the the purest emphasis of and passion for what Jesus actually tells us to do and to own what he's told us we should expect and to respond in the way he told us to do that and to believe that he's given us a peace that surpasses understanding, that he has actually given us a joy that no one can take away and that we would endure our hardship knowing that there is reward and that we would say the most important thing in our lives is not protecting our way of life or getting back to a way of life or making sure our taxes are lower or making sure our military is bigger or making sure that our freedoms are secured. Like, honestly, those things are fine, I'm not saying they're bad, but I do think they're far bigger priorities for too many of us. And Jesus's values of the kingdom and doing it that way is too low a priority. And if we think that that inversion is going to change things, it will only change things for the worse. And my fear in that is because we're claiming the name of Jesus while we've got the priorities inverted, that the world more and more is going to be like, oh, so that's what Jesus looks like. Oh, that's what Christianity is all about. Oh, that's what the stuff of Christ entails. And we're misrepresenting him. Now, I know this sounds like a scolding. I promise it's actually not. I'm hoping that it makes all of us go, oh, wait, yes, I need to make sure that I am relearning my habits and I'm holding my tongue where I should hold my tongue. I'm using my tongue where I should use my tongue. I'm changing my actions and reactions. I'm showing the world something different. I'm showing a generosity, a grace, a transparency, a lack of judgment, an outpouring of mercy. Like that is the stuff, again, that is the values of the kingdom. In fact, I was even this week going, maybe I want to be like a Kingdomtonian, which sounds kind of weird. I haven't figured out the name yet. But I'm like, am I I contending for evangelicalism? No. Am I even now at this point contending for Christianity as the American climate understands it? And I go, no, I think both of these labels have a lot of baggage. I'm still those labels. I'm in those labels. But I'm like, my heart and my longing, and my repentance, like where I flawed and messed up so big in some of this is that I did not either A, value the kingdom like I should, or B, frankly, I think it's crap and it doesn't work, and that's my sin. Because I hear that too often, even as a pastor. It's almost like there's this naivete in the message of Jesus. Like, we love Jesus, we dig him, the gospel's great, it saves us. We don't work toward heaven, only by his grace are we saved. And then Jesus is like, right, so then you're going to live as I live, right? And you're going to prioritize what I prioritize and make these your values. And we're like, well, yeah, until it's inconvenient. Or until I think it doesn't work. Or until I think it is too naive. Or until I realize that, no, but the people out there in the world are bad people, Jesus. I don't think you know how nasty people are. If you really want us to do all of this stuff, 
stuff legitimately. You're silly. So I'm going to take the parts that I like, the things that fill me up, that make my soul feel great, that make, make me feel spiritual. Just don't ask me to actually sacrifice, suffer, or risk. Too much, too far, too big. And that's too bad. It's too bad because I have those same fears, right? I have those same concerns. I have those same excuses, this is why I do. I look and I go, you know, why Why do I think the fabric of this radical idea of the kingdom of Jesus is fraying apart within our particular corner of the world? And I think it's just because we make excuses to not lean into the tough stuff. Like I keep saying, you know, holding your marriage together, uh, not being reckless with your life, uh, not doing really dumb criminal things. Not hard. If we think that's what morality is, that's not hard. Most Americans do all that stuff. It's no big deal. Or if we think, no, it's just we need more conservative values in our culture, and that's going to do it. I remember there's this great uh, quote from uh, Barnhouse back in the day. He was pastor, I think, of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he says, you know, if Satan ran a community, Nobody would cuss. Nobody would spit on the sidewalk. Nobody put gum under their chairs. Everybody would be courteous and polite. They'd go to church every single Sunday. Their marriages would stay together. They would have family dinners. Like he had this whole great picture. Uh, But at the core of it, he says, and Christ wouldn't be preached. Now, I think Jesus would come up often in Satan's messages. He already does. That's, That's not a surprise. Satan will leverage Jesus at every turn he gets provided that it doesn't highlight the upside down and backwards values of the kingdom. Satan all day long will talk about Jesus and morality, Jesus and conservatism, Jesus and being good citizens. He will preach that all day long because it doesn't hint at this idea of the upside down and backwards nature of the kingdom. It doesn't hit at self-sacrifice. It doesn't hint at being willing to suffer with joy. It doesn't hint at the notion of what it means to actually articulate kingdom values in the world by living the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, showing the fruit of the Spirit, the definition of love. Like, if we stay away from that, Satan's happy. We can worship Jesus all day long in our churches, and he will be totally content as long as we're not effective by doing it different. Satan loves that stuff. That's why I'm warning us of that stuff. It can no longer simply be we're content with our way of life and protecting what we have and trying to get back to something that was old. No, we have to move forward with something that is not just new, but actually ancient old that should be made new again, which is that radical thing that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, standing in a plane at one time and on a hill at another time. And he says, this is how we do business. You want to follow me? This is how we do business. If you don't want to do business that way, hey, do yourself a favor, man. Don't follow me. Do yourself a favor. Just punch out. Find a different system. But if you're going to do it my way, it's a hard way. It's a narrow way. It's measured by its fruit. And fruit isn't just being good people. Good is cheap. Godly is costly. And so I know this may seem a little heavy, or you may wonder, am I supposed to be inspired or repentant? The answer is yes. I mean, that was my walk away. My my walk away as I was working this through in my head was like, my first move here is to simply acknowledge I still still want my American way of life more than I want kingdom values. I, I want family ethics more than I want kingdom ethics. 
I want to shame, blame, point, vote out, whatever, the other side of my my system. It's all sin. Really, it's all sin. It's all sin if I measure it against what the gospel is all about, what the kingdom is all about, what Jesus tells us to be all about, and the tone in which he tells us to do it, and the heart and the trust in which he asks us to have in that. Because I think it's really easy for us to believe in Jesus. I, I think what we really need to get to is believing Jesus. Believing in, sort of domesticated. It's sort of clean and easy, right? Makes me feel good. But to believe in means we actually do it. And we do it with the tone and disposition he calls us to do it in. And we keep doing it even when it's hard. In fact, we get better at doing it the harder life becomes, And again, it all comes back to, it's not about me, it's all about him. And if it's all about him, it's about others and it's not about me. And that's that's selfless. But when I look at the gospel and I look at the call of the disciple of Jesus, it's a call to selflessness. It's a call to die to yourself and follow him. And following him is what? He lays himself down for others, for the world, for the environment at the cost of self. See, I think this drives to the very core opposite of our American ideals. And I'm not picking on America. I love our country. I'm blessed to be here. But I feel like I'm just squandering my role in it. I have all the freedom to be like Jesus. And instead, I use the freedom to give me my way of life. And then I want to fight for that freedom so I can ensure my way of life. That's not the way of Jesus. It's the way of America. It's the way of our system. It's a way of my own self-interest, but it's not the way of Jesus. And the more we go down that road, the more that everybody is just kind of self-interested and protecting their own pods and squads and systems. And, and that gets us further away. It leads us further down the road of an apostasy that, as I started at the beginning, reminds me of Israel. Israel wanted a Messiah to give them their way of life. And what God gave them is a Messiah who said, you have to give up your way of life if you want true life. I think this is what makes Christianity radical. I think that's what makes uh, Kingdom Tonians, my little label right now, I hope to change it in the future, but for now, I think makes Kingdom Tonians uh, truly unique. And I think that's the only thing that changes the world. And my fear right now is not only do I think we need to, again, adjust dramatically to that. But my concern is, as I said earlier, I'm seeing disbelievers getting it and embracing it faster than those who actually claim the truth of it. Now, that's not a blanket statement across the board, but I'm increasingly noticing that. And I'm noticing people who hold these values, choosing to leave the church and plug into things outside of the church because they go, I think it gets it more. And so if we hold the Bible dear and we think it's the word of God, I want us to do more than just believe in it. I want us to believe it. Because when we really sincerely believe it, when we submit our fears, our doubts, our worries, our greed to it, and we believe what it says, I think we will be powerful, compelling, compassionate, gospel-centered, kingdom-valuing, everyday missionaries.